Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 13, titled, Disturbing Conclusions, Part 2. Good morning. How's everybody? Been absent a couple of Sundays. Appreciate Pastor Greg doing a great job. Standing in, taking my spot. Way for one Sunday, playing Sunday with these wonderful young people here. And uh, we had a great trip to Glorieta, New Mexico. Had a good time. Uh, we had, uh, God did a lot of things there. And uh, we have three or four baptisms. Remember how many? Three or four something. Anyway, something like that. Three or four or a thousand. I don't know. We're going to have a bunch. <laughs> On the 14th of August, have you been baptized? That, I mean, I posed that question to you because there's a lot of people who have, think they've been baptized but haven't been baptized. Like, what do you mean? Well, here's... Here's ways that you haven't been baptized. If you were saved after the fact that you got baptized, like I did. I got baptized when I was seven. I was saved when I was eight. I wasn't baptized. I went, got in the water. If you get in the water for any other reason and you don't have soap or a fishing pole, I mean, you're not there for any good, good reason. Were you immersed when you were baptized? Not only were you first saved and then baptized, but was that baptism by immersion? You say, well, that, what's the big deal? Well, that's the only way the Bible describes it. The only way the Bible describes it is to be immersed. Have, again, I ask you the question, have you been baptized? Not what you think baptism is. We, we have to go back to the Scriptures. Don't tell me what you think baptism is. I won't tell you what I think it is. Let's go back and see what the Scripture says. By immersion, following salvation. If that isn't you, and you have accepted Christ, yeah, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. We're going to be baptizing on August 4th, 14th, I'm sorry. And uh, we would love to see you there. If you've never seen an ocean combat baptism, that's what we do. You notice we don't have a baptistry up here. We have lots of water. And part of the plans of the fathers of this church uh, was that we wouldn't have a baptistry and make us go to the bay or make us go uh, to the gulf. And so we're going to be uh, doing that and uh, hope you will be saying it'll be following this service. So we'll be concluding this service on the 14th and changing clothes and hitting the beach. And so, hope you'll be involved in that. Hope want you to come in that and see that. Encourage these young people. And uh, we have, we have from from the cradle to the grave, we have olders and youngers getting getting baptized. So, uh, so hope that you'll be a part of that. John chapter nine. And if you're with us on a consistent basis, you know I'm preaching out of the book of Luke, but we're skipping over to John nine because of a topic that has been raised. Uh, in Luke. And that topic, very simply, is why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, the topic was brought to Jesus, and then Jesus addresses the topic, addresses some of our misconceptions, and uh, we've used it sort of as a job, jumping off place for a couple of Sundays to discuss this whole issue of why do bad things happen to good people? Remember what our conclusion was? The first conclusion is, is the biggest one. Bad things don't happen to good people. Because why? Because there aren't any. Who told, where did you get that from? You didn't get it from the Bible. Your mama said you're good, but let me tell you, you're not. The world says you're good, but let me tell you, you're not. God in the Bible says that we're all sinners. Sinners can't be, by definition, can never be good. We can be declared righteous, but we can't actually be. I can't intrinsically be right. I gave that up as soon as I sinned. We're done. There is no such thing as good people. So, therefore, bad things never happen to good people because there aren't any good people. 
There was only one time on the planet Earth in which there were good people. It was in a place called the Garden of Eden, and guess what? Nothing bad happened. Nothing bad happened. In fact, God says, behold, it was all good, 100%. So, so when there were good people, that was a very long time ago, nothing bad happened. Bad things don't happen to good people because there aren't any good people. We start off with the wrong premise, you're always going to wind up with the wrong conclusion. A lot of our world is based off of wrong conclusions. Why don't we come back to the Bible? Because it is the only place that you will find the truth. We'll not find the truth inside of your head. No offense, you're not fine inside of my head. You won't find it with my conclusions or my writings or my sayings. We'll only, when we come back to the Scriptures and say, this is what the Word of God has to say, then we get right. And we have to do that constantly. i got to read the Bible every single day. So do you. we I got to learn it. i got to memorize it. I have to reflect on it. because it's, And even with all that, my life still isn't 100%. In the truth, just, just because of the situation that we live in. The further you're away from the, the truth, the scriptures, the further you're away from what really is going on in the world. There isn't good people. Bad things have never happened to good people. So, so with, with that in mind, the, the ultimate book, of course, about why bad things happen to good people is not, of course, in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's the book of Job. I'll, I want you to look at this verse. It's going to be our jumping off spot. And we're going to be getting to John 9 here in just a bit. But here... I'm going to read in just a second what God has to say about Job. And I would submit to you, my knowledge of the Scriptures, there's not a single person in the Bible who, has, who is spoken of higher by God than Job. This isn't Job's opinion. It's not his friend's opinion. It's not our opinion of Job. God's opinion of this man is the highest accolade that a person receives in the entire Scripture. Notice what it says. Have you considered, God speaking to Satan, actually, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. Wow. And guess what? God knows everybody on the earth. So that's a big statement. I am better than everybody, you know, but I just know about 100 people, so I don't really know a whole lot. God knows everybody. And he says, this guy is the best. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Twice. In the book of Job, the first two chapters, God says a similar thing about Job. Now, you remember the story of Job? What happened to Job? Uh, he lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost all of his children. He lost all of his friends. And all with no explanation. So I want you to notice something. First of all, just we've been... Looking the last time we were together, we started looking at some disturbing conclusions. The first one is, of course, there are no such thing as good people. The second one is, there may not be a relationship between what you're experiencing in life, good or bad, and God's opinion of you. God's opinion of Job is, there's not a better one. How, how can you do better than this? And yet Job's experience was not anything like this. You look at Job's life, you would think, he must have done something wrong. You know that dude... He's a sinner. We know it. By the way, most of the book of Job is consumed with his friends trying to determine what he did bad. You, you had to have done something wrong, Job. What was it? He, he all the time saying, I, I'm not perfect. But I have no idea what has brought this, these cataclysmic events about in his life. And so, again, we have God's opinion of him, which is not an opinion. It's just the truth. This is God's opinion. This is God's position on Job. There was no relationship between what he was experiencing in life and what he, God's actual opinion of it. Now, could it be possible that what you're going through right now, 
maybe good, maybe bad, has no relationship with God's opinion of you? Could it be possible? It's true for Job. We're going to see it's true for another guy here in just a minute. But we've been looking at these uh, uh, disturbing conclusions. Let me ask you something. So Job loses, even though this is God's opinion of him, Job loses everything. Was that fair? It most definitely was not. In fact, another disturbing conclusion. Life isn't fair, and you don't want it to be. If you get to vote on whether God changes life from being unfair where it is right now, it's totally unfair. God's not being fair to you. Do you know that? Not being fair to any of you people in here, and I know a reason why. I'm going to tell you in just a second. But he's not being fair to you. If you get a chance to vote whether God turns the world from being unfair to fair, vote against fairness every time. Because here's why. Every sinner, if it was fair, should be where? Oh, you don't want it to be fair. How can we complain about getting the good side of fairness, right? You don't want it to be fair. You don't want God to give you what you deserve. You don't want to have a conversation about what, God, what you deserve from God. Don't ever allow that topic to come up. Life is not fair, because if it were, all sinners would get what they deserve. Which brings us to our second conclusion. As a sinner, I'm, entitled, I'm not entitled to anything but hell. So any day I'm not in hell is a good day. You're having a good day today. How do I know you're not getting what you deserve? You should be in hell. You're not in hell. Let's have a party. What's church about anyway? Let's, let's throw a party. Invite your friends over. Tell them the good news of how kind and gracious God is to you. You see the perspective? If you don't have a biblical pers perspective, we start getting all mopey about the stuff that God owes us, and you don't want to have that conversation with God. You don't want to have it. You don't want to get what you deserve. When God brings good into our lives, it's because He is good, not because we are. He brings it in, He's good. He brings it out, He's good. Whatever He does with it, He's good, because it's totally based on Him. It's not based on you, because life isn't fair. You don't want it to be. Don't confuse any of your blessings with anything that you have done. If you have good in your life, it's because God's being gracious and merciful to you. Our third disturbing conclusion that we shouldn't complain about the bad things, but we should be very grateful about the good things. I'm a recipient of mercy and grace every day. Every day I'm not in hell, that's a good day, because I'm not getting what I do, I truly have earned and deserve. Fourth disturbing conclusion, listen, God doesn't owe me anything, not even an explanation. Doesn't owe it to you. Now, will God explain himself? Often, yeah. But I want you to understand, he doesn't owe that to you. God can do, that's our next conclusion, whatever he wants. He doesn't have to explain himself. He doesn't have, to, doesn't have to make sense to you. He's not overly concerned whether you understand him or misunderstand him. Not necessarily. He doesn't owe you an explanation. Will he give you an explanation? Quite often. But God's being gracious to you. He's being kind to you. You owe me an explanation. You don't want to have anything to do with what God owes you. Not one thing. God doesn't owe you anything. Not even an explanation. Fifth to serve inclusion. God's got a right to do whatever he wants with you. Is that okay? Needs to be okay. Part of our growing up in Christ, our growing up in faith, is to realize that this, this life that you're experiencing right now, you don't deserve any of it. But God has given it to you as a gift. 
He can give it to you. He was good when he gave it. He's good when he takes it back. He doesn't owe you an explanation, but he's given you these things, and, and he can do whatever he wants to with it, but he is, he is being good to you when he gives you good stuff, which brings us to our next conclusion. When, when I do good, God doesn't owe me good stuff in return. So a lot of us work off the principle of a payment system. God, I've been good, therefore I deserve such and such. Where did you ever get that idea from? Not from the scriptures. You see, what you need to understand about yourself, what we need to understand is that when you become a sinner, that's what you are. Now you may be a sinner, hopefully saved by grace, having trusted Christ and his righteousness, but you are still a sinner. Your righteousness and goodness are based upon him, not upon you. So, and not a, good, not a single good thing that you do will ever pay back or ever deal with anything that you've done. The laws of God are eternal laws. So that means they have always, it's always wrong, always wrong to break them. It has always been, it always will be. The, the laws aren't just some arbitrary group of, of, uh, of writings that God imposed upon earth just arbitrarily because he thought we needed something to do. No, it's always been wrong to do these things. Always been wrong to kill. Always been wrong to lie. Always been wrong to commit adultery. Always been wrong to dishonor your parents. Always been wrong to dishonor God and not have God as first. Always. It always will be wrong. These are eternal laws. So when you break them, you've committed an eternal crime. And these laws, listen, cannot be fixed. They can't be undone. So the whole philosophy of, well, I'm doing good, making up from the stuff that I did, where did you get that from? That's blasphemous. Because, hear me, not even God fixes his laws for you. See, once laws are broken, they have to be paid for, very simply. So eternity is going to be based upon a decision that you make. You go one or two directions. Your sins are going to be paid for. You can pay for them. It will take forever. Hell is an eternal place because God's laws are eternal laws, and to break them deserve eternal punishment. You follow me? So either I pay for them in forever in a place called hell, an eternity in hell, or I allow the eternal one who hung himself on a cross for me, not me asking him, who paid for his sins. I can trust him, and he can pay but hear me carefully, he doesn't fix the laws. He pays for them. So the whole philosophy of I'm somehow fixing the laws that I broke by living a good life now, where did you get that from? It's not in the scriptures. You're not making up for anything. God doesn't owe you anything good for the good that you do. Now, does he, will he give you good? Absolutely. I'm looking at a group of people who God is being very good to. And there often is a direct relationship between the good things that I do and the good that comes into my life. But just to understand, he doesn't owe that to you. He's not beholding to you at all. He just finds the reason within himself. It's just because he's good, not because you are. So the seventh disturbing conclusion. When bad stuff happens, this is what we talked about to begin with, it may not have anything to do with my behavior. That's hard, because the first thing we say when, bad, when things go wrong is, I wonder what I did. Isn't that right? Or when something goes wrong in someone else's life, and there's tragedy, we say, oh, I wonder what she did. Where are you getting that thinking from? There may not be, now maybe, but there may not be a relationship between the things that I do, my behavior, and anything that's going on in my life. How do I know that? Because I got this guy right here. I'm sorry. 
Here's, here, here's a verse that, that reminds us of why we need to, uh, when, when we go to God and says, God, why, I've been good. You know what God's answer is when you say, uh, God, I've been really good. You owe me such and such. You know what God's answer is? So? You've been good? So? Look at what Jesus says. Luke 17. You too, when you do all the things which were commanded. Have you done all the things that were commanded you? Anyone here? If you have, we would ask you very kindly if you would please leave. <laughs> we can't have perfect people in here. But isn't it true that, that you're somewhere short of this? Am I, am I accurate in, in my guess that you're somewhere short of all? But if, if that ever happens, though, that you should do it all, right? When you, Jesus speaking, when you do all the things which you were commanded, saying, then you should say, we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. But when you get it all right, you still don't deserve any good. You, sh you should have done it all right. To think somehow that I do right and that God has somehow it owes me, owes me good. Where did you get that from? You didn't get it from the Scriptures. God doesn't owe you anything good. And again, we can, we can have our good behavior, but it may not have any relationship to how God feels about us. Again, how did God feel about Job? And what happened to him? There was no relationship. So, so the bad thing going on in your life right now, ma'am, that struggle that you're having right now, may not have anything to do with anything that you have done. Cut yourself some slack. That trial that you're going through, sir, terrible, horrible, scratching your head, as Job did. Spent, spends 42 chapters asking God why. Doesn't get an answer, by the way. Had he done anything bad? No. Here's God's opinion of the guy. Man, I have anything to do with God's opinion of you. So now, that's just an introduction, by the way. Now we're, that's catching you up from where I was three weeks ago. Now we're ready to consider some new stuff. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Here we have another place where people think like we do. They think there has to be a relationship between what I do and what I experience. And by the way, if you feel that way, you're in good company. These are the disciples. Notice what it says here. And he that is Jesus, from chapter 9 of John, verse 1. And as he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? See, in their mind, it can't be any other way. If there's something wrong in your life, you must have done something. Either you or your parents. Notice that's the conclusion. Rabbi, who sinned? His parents or him? Notice what Jesus says in verse 3. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Again, it's unthinkable for us that bad things could happen to people who were doing good. So, therefore, if bad things happen, I must not be good. You follow the thinking? You didn't get that scripture from the scriptures. That's a, that's a, that's a rudimentary, dark, human way of thinking it's not from God, let's just say that. It's from Satan. Drop it. Stop it. Start thinking like the Scriptures. The only way we can is by focusing on them, listening to them, hearing what they've got to say. So here we have a guy who was born blind. The disciples can't think of any other thing other than the fact he must have done something or his parents must have done something. Jesus says, no, actually, neither one of those things are true. 
but so that God could be glorified in his life. So we haven't really asked, answered the question, why do bad things happen? Well, bad things don't happen to good people because there aren't any of those. But bad things do happen to God's saints. There's a class of human beings that are no better than the world who doesn't know Christ, but a class of human beings who have accepted Christ's payment for their sins, paying for the laws that they've broken. And that group of people, God declares they're not good, but he declares them good. He declares them righteous. Scripture calls them saints. So, so the better question is not do why do bad things happen to good people because there aren't any good people. The better question is why do bad things happen to God's saints? And again, does God owe us an explanation? No. Does he give us an explanation? More often than not. And this one has a very good explanation. Why do bad things happen to God's people? Let, let's go back to our story here, this young man who was born blind. Why did bad things happen to him? It was neither for this man's sin nor his parents, but so in order that the works of God might be displayed in his life. So, so let, let, me, let me write this down for you very clearly. God allowed him to be born blind so that God could be glorified in his life. And that's a tough pill to swallow. God allowed him to have an affliction in his life, if you got to vote and decide whether you were born blind or born with sight, which one would you want? Yeah, me too. Him too. But ultimately, right, guys and gals, God does what he wants to. But here's the thing. If you're a saint, what God does in your life gets to bring him glory. Is that okay? It really needs to be okay. Jesus taught us to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven. What's the next phrase? Hallowed. Glory to your name. Bring glory to your name. Every time you're playing that, you know what you're asking God to do? To glorify himself in your life. What does that look like to you? What does God being glorified in your life look like? I can tell you what it looks like to me. Brand new boat, brand new car, all money, all my sauce going up. Now, can I not glorify God in that? I think I can. I think I would love to try. But you see, God may not have the same opinion. It may be, or maybe ask you this question. When you say, God, glorify your name, glorify yourself and me, the question I have for you is, do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? I mean, from your heart, are you saying, God, I truly want you to be glorified? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. What, what if he can be better glorified through your illness and disability? What if? Is that okay? Or is it God be glorified as long as it fits within these parameters? You know, I don't go over here, God. I don't be messing with this. I know you got to put some people through trials and there's some Job's, but I'm not good at being Job. So you know, let's just stick with the good stuff. Brand new car, you know, brand new house, all kinds of money, and I'll make sure I glorify you. What if he can be better glorified since he's a sovereign God and does what he wants? What if he decides he can be better glorified through your illness and disability? Is that okay? It really needs to be okay. It really does. What if he can be better glorified in your life through the trials and tribulations? Is, is that okay? How could God be glorified through trials and tribulations? Let, let me ask you something. You're familiar with Jesus, right? God's son, perfect. He truly was a good human being, only one of them that ever existed. How did Jesus glorify his father? Hmm. 
Jesus wasn't riding around Lamborghini. Jesus didn't have a brand new house. Jesus' stocks didn't continue to go up. How did he glorify? By dying, suffering and dying at the age of 33. Now, see, we would sit back and say, that's a cursed life. No, no, no. He brought glory to his Father. So, so what happens to the Son of God can't happen to us? Hmm. Need to think about that. What, what about this young man who was born blind? Was he bringing glory to God? Well, not at this point, at least. But, but, but hello, aren't you reading his story in the Bible right now? How long has this guy been dead? Now, how long he lived? 40, 50 years? He's been dead for the other 2,000 since then. And guess where his story's been recorded? In the Scriptures! Where you and I can learn, here we are in a Baptist church on South Padre Island 2,000 years later uh, in, ca- in, not khaki, but gray pants and brown socks. I couldn't find any gray socks. And talking about this man's story every day somewhere on the planet, every Sunday for sure, somewhere on the planet, some believers are being encouraged by this young man's story. He just had 40 or 50 years. You think he's still ticked at God today, sitting up in heaven? You know, I'm still ticked because I could have had them 40 or 50 years with my eyesight. Really? And not bring glory to God? Or you think he'd be sitting in heaven right now saying, God, I'm so glad that you took that stuff away from me so that now I can sit in eternity with perfect sight and that people can be glorifying God because of the experience that I had. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. But that you could be glorified. Because, hear, hear me carefully, wasn't he going to lose it anyway? His eyesight? I don't know if you notice that when you pass away, you don't get to take your eyeballs with you. They put it in the casket. You don't get to keep your eyes. You're going to lose it anyway. You don't get to keep your health. No one does. You don't get to keep your wealth, as we've said many times. Either you're going to leave it, or it's going to leave you. But you can be sure, everything you have down to the last body part, you're going to lose it anyway. Would it be nice? Wouldn't it be smart? That in the short period of time that you have with this stuff that's not yours, that you can bring glory to God, and that that glory can be something that gives you rewards for the rest of eternity? Doesn't that make sense? It really does to God. And it needs to be okay with you. This young man's not mad at God. I think Job's still mad at God. He was. Not anymore. You're going to lose them anyway. Kids, camels, friends, they were all going to go. But that God could be glorified in his life. That's a bigger deal. Far bigger. We act like we would otherwise get to keep all our lives and all our health. No, you're not. No, you're not. The number one reason why God allows bad things, hard things, difficult things to happen in the lives of his saints is so that he can be glorified. And I know how you feel. I feel like God can be better glorified by blessing me. It's just that he doesn't always agree. Needs to be okay. Second reason why good things, and there's only three, by the way, so I know. Second reason why bad things happen to God's saints is for our own good. For our own good. You know, one of the best people in the New Testament, writer of almost half of your New Testament, is a guy by the name of Apostle Paul. 
had this radical conversion on the road to Damascus and become this servant of God, just given his life away and suffered greatly as a result of it. Faithful preacher, faithful teacher, faithful to the service of God, and yet God thought he needed to be better. Because God knows. Paul wasn't perfect. And so God allowed a physical affliction in the life of Paul to take place. In fact, he says it came as a result of Satan's work in his life. He said it was a messenger of Satan. He said, three times I prayed that God would remove it. Three times. And this was God's reply. God effectively said no. He said to me, my grace, notice, not my healing. Could God have healed him? Absolutely. But he chose not to. Hear hear me carefully on this. Whatever you're going through right now, God has allowed that. I want to say it again. Even if, as in the case of Paul, it came by a messenger of Satan, God has allowed it. God is not sitting up in heaven thinking, I I wish I could stop that devil. I wish I I could fix everything. I just wish I had the power to change things. Not at all. What is happening in your life is what God has allowed. God alone reserves the right to define why that has happened. I can tell you for sure it's for his glory. I can also tell you it may be to make you better. God allowed Paul an affliction, and notice what it did for him. So, so he begs God three times to get rid of it, and God says, no, I can't heal you, but I won't. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You're, you're a better servant of mine, Paul, as a weak person than as a strong. What was Paul here for anyway? Bring glory to God. you got a short life. You're going to throw it away glorifying yourself? You're making a huge mistake. It's going to all be over. It's going to all, all, the, all the puzzle pieces go back in the box. And you're going to lose everything and have to answer to God for how you played the game. Oh, no, I want to play the game right, that God may be glorified. So God decided to allow this affliction to remain in Paul's life. Therefore, Paul, notice Paul's conclusion. Therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me, therefore I delight in weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions and difficulties. Do you? How are you doing with that? Which one of these are you struggling with? Which one of these? I'm good with the weaknesses, but man, the insults, they're really ticking me off. God, i gotta, got to get myself straightened out. Yeah, maybe so. Distresses, persecutions, difficulties on behalf of Christ for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I just want to be good. In the short life I have, I want to be useful to God. Is that your attitude? That was Paul's. Do you want to be useful? Want to be strong in Christ? Want the power of God to flow through your life? Well, it just may take some difficult things in your life to get that done. Is that okay? Why do bad things happen to God's saints? Sometimes to make us better. And then there's a third reason why bad things happen to God's saints. Saints, I, don't have, I have a scripture verse, but I first had this statement here that even though not from the scriptures, is very true. Why do bad things happen? Right? Wouldn't it be cool if being a saint kept me from being stupid? It doesn't. But it doesn't. I still do stupid stuff. And so even though I said there may not be a relationship between what you're currently experiencing and the way you're living, I didn't say there never was. There may very well be a direct relationship. You may be going through bad stuff because you were stupid, (laughs) forgive me, and make bad decisions. Stop that. 
God allows bad stuff to happen in our lives to correct us. He loves us. What kind of father would he be letting us run willy-nilly? No. No. But see, it's not for me to say in my own life, much less in your life, whether what you're going through or not is some kind of punishment from God. But it certainly is a question you need to ask. Jesus brings up this very thing. So, So he heals one guy who was born blind, who had no relationship between what he was going through and what he had actually done. But then he heals another guy a little bit later in chapter 5 of John. Notice what it says here. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, this guy healed. And he said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Just because there may not be a relationship doesn't mean there can't be. Do stupid stuff. You know, get yourself in in a tight place and it gets really tight. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. The Scriptures gives us the power. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the instructions to, to get on the way out of it. So, so number one, so that God can be glorified. That's the reason why bad things happen in the lives of saints. So that we can get better. Don't you want to get better? And possibly because we need to be corrected. God loves us. He won't let us run willy-nilly. You familiar with this lady? Joni Erickson. You know her young people especially? Some of the older, I'm pretty sure. Y'all know who this lady is been around a long time, notice she's in a wheelchair with arm braces because that's her condition. She was 18 years old. I think got an 18-year-old here. No Josiah? Where's Josiah today? Can we, may, the record, may the record reflect that Josiah was not here today. <laughs> Nothing like getting pointed out in church, right? Anyway, Josiah's one of our kids. He's, our, he's one of our 18, he's the only 18-year-old, I think. Anyway, 18-year-olds, anybody? Any 18-year-old? Okay. This lady, when she was 18, was swimming with some friends, jumped off a dock into water that she thought was deep. She dove head first, and it was not. And she, had a, had a, she severed her spinal cord at the base of her neck. Should have killed her. Nearly did. She uh, was a Christian, but uh, not really walking with the Lord. And boy, did she stand to learn a lot. And uh, she sat in a bed for weeks and weeks and months trying to deal with, you know, my life and God owes me stuff and God, I deserve to be a teenager like everybody else. And she finally started reading the scriptures and realized that God doesn't owe her anything good. And she determined that she was going to be different and that whatever capacity God had given to her to allow her to live, that she was going to be used by God for that. Now, these adults know, a lot of them know, and you young people need to know, this woman has turned into a fabulous servant of God. She's a writer, she's, she's, a, she's an artist, she's a public speaker, she's an evangelist, she has done, in the years that God has given her, great, amazing ministry uh, for the cause of Christ. Just absolutely amazing. All the while, never got any better than this. God never healed her. She's still alive today, by the way. She was being interviewed recently and, of course, they ask the ultimate question always, you know, when you get to heaven, what are you going to say to God about, you know, her lot in life? Well, Johnny, what are you going to say to God when you get to heaven? And she paused for a minute, and she gave a very, I think, incredibly mature response. Here's what she said. She said, I'm going to fold up my wheelchair, then I'm going to hand it to Jesus, then I'm going to tell him thanks. But I needed that. Thanks. So I needed that. I, I needed, can, can you say that about your afflictions and trials and troubles? God, I, I needed that. 
I need, if nothing else, as in her case, bring glory to God. Make me better. Straighten out my weird thinking. Thanks, God, I needed that. Why do God's saints suffer? Why do they go through hard times? Because, because ultimately, what are you here for anyway? To bring glory to God. Throw your life away on yourself. Now, hear me, you'll be sad forever about that. God won't stand for that. He loves you too much. So he allows these difficulties to come in your life so that you can be glorified, so you can understand your dependence upon him, and also so that you can be made better and understand how a fleeting life actually is, that whether you get to keep it or not for now, you're still going to lose it all, every bit of it, eventually. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God is speaking to you today. Where are you today with the troubles and trials that you're going through? You might not be doing, doing very well. Let me tell you something. You're in good company. I'm telling you, there is not a one of us in this room that hasn't struggled with the trials and troubles that God has brought into our lives, haven't asked the question, God, why me? Ha- haven't been taken down that immature road of saying, God, I deserve better than, than this. You're, you're in good company. You're not just in good company in this room. You're also good company in the scriptures. They're, they're just people too. But God has given us his truth so that we will not continue to think as children. Instead, we will start thinking as adults. God has given us a very short life. And that short life is going to reflect on eternity forever. The decisions they make, the, 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 the way we choose to have our sins paid for, either by ourselves or by Christ, it's going to reflect on eternity forever. The way we handle ourselves, the way, the way we see life, instead of looking inside of ourselves, looking out to God and to our world, it's going to reflect on eternity forever. Heavenly Father, I pray for your perspective. God, you do many things that we don't understand, and you don't always explain yourself, even though uh, you oftentimes do. God, we thank you that you're willing to risk being misunderstood for the sake of an eternal weight of glory in our lives. God, I pray that for the person who is in a dark place right now, whoever he or she is, Lord, uh, that she would be able to, or he would simply be able to say to you, God, I, I don't understand, but I trust you. God, I don't get it, but I'm looking to you. And God, if, if I go my whole life with no explanation, as Job did, then, then I'm going to be okay with that. But God, more than anything, I want you to be glorified. Glorified in the decisions I make today and the way I speak about you and my attitude about whatever's going on in my life. God, I want you to be glorified. Thank you for speaking to us today, God. Thank you for your word. We pray, God, you would settle deep in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.